And this applies through so many different phases of, of parenting. If you treat your high school kid like an elementary school kid, they're going to be exasperated with you. If you treat your college kid like a high school kid, they're going to be exasperated with you. If you treat your adult child like a child, it's disrespectful. Welcome to Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. I'm Wayne Rice, Conference Director for the Legacy Coalition, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Colomb, Director of Spiritual Development for the Legacy Coalition. Our special guest today is Rob Reno, and we're going to be talking with Rob in just a moment. But first, John, <laughs> as uh, Director of Spiritual Development for the Legacy Coalition, do you have any words of wisdom for us today? Well... I'll tell you what I've been thinking about lately is just the men who invested in my life, in your lives, guys, um, over the years. And I remember uh, Jay Kessler sharing with a group of us, uh, he he was called, he and Warren Wiersbe called themselves the Bonfire Boys. I don't know if you remember that, because uh, they would rub the old members the wrong way. <laughs> they would sit at the feet of, of the... the uh, guys who started Youth for Christ way back in the 40s. And he's, he said, we'd basically be their gophers and we'd sit at their feet and we'd learn from them. But, you know, we would often do things that uh, were counter <laughs> to their culture. And they called us the bonfire boys because they would rub the old members the wrong way. And I just thought, though, how significant uh, our lives have been because of the men and women who really invested in our lives, asking us questions, or just living life in front of us. And uh, I, this week I had a great opportunity just to connect with three of the, quote, kids from the youth group <laughs> from those, those days. And uh, the affirmation that came my way, one of them is, leads the member Bible study with the Senate on Thursday mornings. And and I just thought, wow, Lord, how, you know, how great to be able to have people invest in me and for us to have the opportunity and privilege of investing in others. And, and I don't think we're ever done with that. I'm not, never done sitting at the feet of people trying to learn from them. And uh, so that, that's my word of wisdom today. That's good. Sounds like a sounds like a bluegrass band to me. Boys. You know, the Bonfire Boys. <laughs> Rob <laughs> Reno and the Bonfire Boys. Skyrocketing up the charts. <laughs> okay. Enough of that. Uh, good words, John. Our special guest today is Dr. Rob Reno, an old friend of ours who, with his wife Amy, founded Visionary Family Ministries an organization with a mission to inspire and equip parents, grandparents, and churches to make disciples of their children and grandchildren. He's a former pastor. He's the author of many books, including Grand Vision for the Home, Never Too Late, Encouraging Faith in Your Adult Children, and his latest, Healing Family Relationships. Rob and Amy have seven children, and they live in Wheaton, Illinois. Their first grandchild is inspected in June. That's very exciting, Rob. Oh, man, I can't tell you. We are <laughs> over the moon. First grandchild on either side. Our daughter got married this past September, and the Lord blessed them with uh, what appears to be a honeymoon baby. So our granddaughter <laughs> is here. Uh, I just haven't met her yet. Granddaughter's in my daughter's womb, and, and uh, God willing, coming in June. <laughs> well, that's great. It's going to change your life. You betcha. 
Well, Rob, welcome to uh, Legacy Grandparenting. Uh, you live in Wheaton. Is Wheaton, Illinois still the place, you know, where Jesus is expected to return? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're, they are, they're constructing a second Mount of Olives there for, uh, to, in preparation. I think it's going to be Colorado Springs now. I think they've moved that. Uh, yeah, well, a lot of a lot of Christian <laughs> ministries have uh, ended up moving out to Colorado Springs, so it's kind of like the uh, the new Wheaton. Well, uh, Rob, we're going to talk with you in a moment about uh, how we can become visionary grandparents. But first, we're going to ask you ten questions that uh, we call our Legacy Grandparenting Podcast Poll. It's a quick way for us to uh, get to know you a little better. So, are you ready? I'm ready. These were challenging questions. I'm a little nervous. I gave them to you in advance uh, because these are not uh, easy questions. First, best book you've ever read? Okay, outside the obvious, uh, which would be God's Word. This is so in distant second, but first on that list, uh, would be Francis Schaeffer, How Shall We Then Live?, Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, it was a book for me that was so filled with love and compassion, and it helped me understand why the world is the way it is. Helped me really apply the Bible, not just to theology, but to every sphere uh, of life, uh, and it, it was just transformative for me. Yeah, that's a good one. I read that book mm. many, many years ago. Um, John, did you ever read that one? I did. And then I, you know, I remember when uh, Francis Schaeffer discovered he was dying and he did a tour of the college, Christian college campuses to basically give final words and challenge to the young college students coming up to how to live in this world. No, he was a prophet. Yeah, well, back in yeah. uh, my youth specialties days, uh, Francis Schaefer was uh, the very first big-name speaker that we had speak at the uh, National Youth Workers Convention almost 50 years ago. Wow. Rob, got another question for you. A day in your life that you would like to live over again, good or bad? It could be because uh, it was a great day and you'd like to do it again, or maybe you'd like a do-over. This was the hardest question on the list for me. <laughs> I am very much a present and forward thinker. I'm not saying that's a good thing, uh, but it's it's just reality for me. But uh, in answering the question, I can't pick one. I'm going to pick seven. I'm going to say bringing babies home from the hospital. <laughs> the moment great. when we've got seven children, ages 24 down to eight. Uh, so the last time was, was eight years ago. Now, getting over the actual birth moment, I'm, my wife would probably not put the <laughs> giving birth day in the day to live over again. But uh, the, the day coming home uh, from the hospital with a new blessing, I, I think, is uh, a day like any other. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I can, uh, I can remember uh, when our first child was born. Uh, the feeling of euphoria is unlike any that you ever experience in your entire life. And uh, to tell your own kids that they can expect that as well. It's pretty cool. All right, Rob, question three. Your favorite song when you were in high school. Oh, man. Okay, I was all over the place with music in high school. And I know I'm talking to two guys whose, whose music DNA is deeper than mine. Um, I, I enjoyed Christian music, but my tastes were varied. So on one end, I loved and listened to a ton of Michael Card. I was an old soul, even as a high school student. Mm -hmm. And on the other end, I was loving and listening to Petra. 
So those are going <laughs> to, I'm not going to give you a song. I'm going to give you two Christian artists, probably on opposite poles, but uh, those were the things I was listening to the most. <laughs> yeah, well, so you were really into some of that early Christian rock. I was, yeah. Yeah, back in the early I days. will be with Rob Frazier and Alex McDougal in two weeks from Petra and Michael Card in a concert out in Nashville. So I will, I will tell them. Yeah, John, uh, you know, hangs out with a lot of these uh, aging uh, Christian musicians. I think uh, he has an organization called Music City Fathers, right, yeah. John? We have a retreat every year, three-day retreat with guys just to encourage. And yeah, and, you know, these were the guys that were on the platforms doing ministry and time has moved them on and new people. And anyway, yeah. Well, you know, Mick Jagger's still doing arena shows. I know it. And Bob Dylan's still creating. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Rob, um, a hobby or outside interest that uh, that you really enjoy? Well, if I'm not fishing for men, Hmm. I'm fishing for fish. Uh, Fishing would be hobby number one. Started fishing growing up in Connecticut. Uh, Bass fishing, fished with my brother, fished with my dad. Uh, now out here in Illinois, not the best fishing environment, not the best fishing places, but anytime I can get down to saltwater, uh, saltwater fishing, inshore saltwater fishing, I can't do deep sea because I get sick uh, out there. I get terribly seasick. I can tell you some awful stories about that, but uh, love the chance to fish. Well, I have one word, one word of advice for you, and that is Dramamine. I've tried it all. I've, I've tried it all. Nothing, nothing saves me. But at least you don't have to buy bait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rob, uh, next question. Someone who had a big influence on you. Yeah, I'm going to choose my youth pastor. Uh, his name was Ken Geis. Again, I grew up in Connecticut. My, when I was growing up, my mother was a Christian. She came to Christ when I was a baby. She was the first Christian in our family tree. My father was not a believer. He thought that my mother had become a crazy Jesus person, and he doubled down on his secularism, on on his atheism. So I did not have a spiritual father, and that's what uh, Ken, my youth pastor, became for me. Um, Invested in me, spent time with me, gave me opportunities for leadership and ministry, and, and specifically as my parents were going through a divorce in high school, um, provided uh, so much Christian care and, and very, very specifically taught me what it meant to forgive someone um, because I had so much hatred and bitterness toward my father. He was unfaithful to my mother, and which, which blew everything up in their marriage. Uh, and even in, in preparation, a couple hours before our interview today, and you had sent me the questions, and I said, okay, I think I'll, I'll talk about Ken. I, I zipped Ken a message just with a quick thank you for your influence in my life and reminded me how important it is uh, for, for me, I think all of us, to do that from time to time as the Lord brings to mind these people who have invested in us and encouraged us spiritually to, to let them know, even if it's many, many decades later. Mm-hmm. Good. Next question. How did you meet your wife, Amy? Our eyes, uh, it was August 28th, 1993, and our eyes met across a crowded room uh, at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. I was starting graduate school. She was starting graduate school. And I, I saw this pretty girl across the way, and I did what any good, you know, red-blooded American man would do in that situation, which is run. 
Uh, I did not introduce myself. I did because I, you know, if I go up to her and I say, "Hey, my name is Rob. Can I buy you a cup of coffee?" She's going to say no, and I don't need that kind of rejection in my life. So it's finally a couple months after that, finally got the courage up to to ask her out. We dated for five months. We were engaged for five months, and uh, we've been together now twenty seven years. Huh. All right, way to go. I got another question for you. I know you don't have grandkids yet, but uh, when you do, what will they call you? Got a name picked out? Well, because of our um, overwhelming pro-life convictions, I'm telling everyone I do have grandkids. I just haven't met her yet. She is in my wife's womb right now. But um, we've been working on the grandparent names, and I, I think we're we're settled in. Now, we realize that the grandchild may choose a name for us and our plans could go out the, you know, the, the wayside. So, but my eldest son, for whatever reason, kind of his nickname for me over the years has been Cap or Captain, right? He'll call me dad, but he'll say, hey, Cap, hey, Captain. So I, I think that's the plan for the grandparent, uh, the grandfather name, Cap, Cap. Hmm. But we'll, we'll see what my granddaughter decides about yeah. that. Yeah, well, you know, I was always kind of holding out for your highness. <laughs> Did that work out for you? Uh, not not too well. Another question for you. Anything left on your bucket list? Well, that was, again, that was another question in your list that I really had to scratch my head on because I didn't have a an immediate answer. I I think being being grandchild central would be a dream come true. What I mean by that is that if Amy and I, if God blessed us with a a home or a place that that could be the magnet for the future generations of our family, whether that's a, a lake house or having the resources to create experiences for the coming generations to be together, just to grow in our relationships, grow in faith, uh, that, that'd be a dream come true. Well, I hope it does. That's a good one. Uh, do you have a favorite Bible verse? I do. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For me, that's just the heart of the gospel, God's love, God's initiative, my sin, my need for a savior, Christ's death in my place and, and his resurrection, with, which makes everything possible. And it, it's also for me um, a scripture that I keep coming back to that you don't graduate from it, you know, after you come to Christ, um, that God still demonstrates his own love for me in this while I'm still uh, a sinner, uh, that Christ has offered himself and Christ is risen and alive today. So that's centerpiece scripture for me. Yeah, well, that that's a good one. Very, very gospel-centered. And uh, thanks, Rob, for uh, answering our podcast poll. The questions, uh, that was great. I'm going to ask you a question now. I just... I want to talk a little bit about Visionary Families, the organization that you and your wife started some time back. You've been doing that full-time now for about a dozen years. Tell us, what led you to start Visionary Families, and uh, what's your goal, your vision? Well, the ministry started very personally uh, for me. It was 2004. Amy and I had been married for 10 years. We had four children during those 10 years, and I was a youth pastor for those first 10 years and and loved that season of ministry. And as a youth pastor, you know, the number one passion of my life was passing my faith to other people's children. 
So I'm going to read the Bible with other people's children. I'm going to pray with other people's children. I'm going to take other people's children on retreats and mission trips. We're going to do lock-ins with junior hires. You guys remember those. This was a horrible idea. The, the name itself should have told us this is a bad thing. There's nothing good about a lock-in. But, but we're doing this, right, because we love the next generation and want to help them follow Jesus. And it was a special time for Amy and me. However... I was praying with other people's kids and I was not praying with mine. I was reading the Bible with other people's kids. I was not reading the Bible with mine. I had discipleship plans for other people's children and no discipleship plans for mine. And it was that summer that God brought me to a a place of brokenness and, and repentance. And as it says in Malachi 4 and Luke 1, he turned my heart to the ministry of my children and, and convicted me that what I had been doing was putting my spiritual opportunities in front of my spiritual responsibilities. And for the last 18 years then, we've been on this journey of of what does it mean to have our ministry for God begin with our family relationships, specifically with our children, and then overflow from there. So uh, as God, whenever for all of us in ministry, when God is teaching us something, we're sharing it right? The Lord's showing us something and we're talking about it with other people. So I said, well, I've got to share some of these scriptures that God's using to wake, awaken my heart to my role as a father. So I put together an adult Sunday school class, an eight-week elective called Visionary Parenting. And all these folks from church, from Wheaton Bible Church came and, and the Holy Spirit used those scriptures to give them conviction and fresh vision for being spiritual leaders for their kids. And, and folks said, hey, why don't we do this again? I said, okay, we'll do it again and we'll record it next time so we can pass cassette tapes. Or I guess we had CDs at that point, pass CDs around. And then a few months later, a church down the road called and said, hey, we heard about visionary parenting. Can you come teach it at our church? I said, uh, okay. I, I was the youth and family pastor then still at Wheaton Bible. More churches started calling and visionary parenting turned into visionary marriage, which turned into never too late, which turned into consulting on family ministry, teaching other pastors how to equip parents. And then finally, by about 2010, I had this very full-time job at a church where I loved and this halftime thing of traveling and speaking and writing, and and I was doing so much ministry to families that I was neglecting my family again, which is a, a bad plan for the guy out talking about family ministry. So something had to give. Uh, I either needed to quit all this bonus stuff and do my pastoral work at my church where I loved, or quit my job and jump on this tiny little life raft of visionary family ministries. And the Lord made it uh, so clear mm. uh, that that's what he wanted us to do. So that was just about 12 years ago that that we launched VFM full-time. You know, I love, Rob, uh, in your book, you talk about the family as a crucible. And, and you said some things there that just really hit me. You want to elaborate on that? What is a crucible? Yeah. Sure. Well, a crucible is a ceramic, it's usually a ceramic pot, and uh, you, you can put, it's for purifying metal, you can put impure metal into the crucible and superheat it. And under the superheat, the impurities come out, you can scoop those off, filter those off, and you can purify the metal. And so with this illustration, I, I believe that only family relationships are hot enough to bring out the junk in our hearts that really needs to be sanctified. Um, I'll ask men, I'll say, okay, how many of you men have been... Uh, 
you know, involved in men's Bible studies over the course of your, your life? And some hands go up and I'll ask uh, uh, perhaps an older gentleman. I'll say, okay, have you been to a lot of men's Bible studies in your life? They'll say, oh, absolutely. I said, okay, when's the last time you stormed out of men's Bible study in a fit of anger? And uh, he'll, he'll say, oh, never. I'm like, oh, come on. I mean, never your whole life? Never. I'm like, well, he, he is a saint to have gone through that many men's Bible studies. But, but it's true. He never has his whole life. And then my next question is, well, when was the last time you stormed out of a room of your house in a fit of anger? And he's like, oh, that was this morning. And well, how, how, can, how can you go your whole lifetime, right, without losing yeah. your temper with guys at church? Um, but, but it's hard to get through a day at home. Well, because the, the, only the family relationships are hot enough, intense enough to bring out this stuff in my heart that really needs to be sanctified. And, and it's a beautiful plan of God. He created the family... The, so that the stuff in our life that really needs to be sanctified would come out with the people he created, created to love us unconditionally and stick with us no matter what. It really is a beautiful plan. Imagine if the real me came out at church and school and work and all those places. They'd, they'd kick me out of everywhere, right? So God created the, the family, the covenant of marriage and the parent-child relationship, the sibling relationship to be this discipleship small group, this spiritual transformation small group where all this junk's going to come out. We're going to stick with each other and help each other grow to be more like Jesus. Hmm. That's really a great insight, Rob. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your book, Never Too Late. Um, I think I have the original version of that book. Uh, I bought it years ago. It's called When They Turn Away. That's the same book, right? It is. Yeah, we, we republished it with uh, uh, the title Never Too Late, Encouraging Faith in Your Adult Child. Yeah, and, and the original book, I think, has a subtitle. It's uh, Drawing Your Adult Children Back to Christ. And I think the first time I heard you speak actually was uh, was at a D6 conference, and you were doing a session on this, and the place was packed. And we found at the Legacy Coalition that this topic really resonates with, with grandparents. And uh, you've taught it at, at our uh, conference uh, several times. What's the backstory behind that book? I mean, your own kids uh, were not old enough at the time to have walked away from the faith. And uh, so this wasn't a a first-person kind of story. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, first of all, you know, two-thirds of empty-nest parents in the church have at least one adult child far from God. You know, in, in Christian circles, we talk about all these stats of the kids who fall away, right? 60% of kids who grow up in the church, you know, leave, whatever those numbers are. Um, but every one of those prodigals, if you will, has a parent that loves them. And that parent is probably still you know, still in their church and still praying. And oftentimes it's the most painful part of their lives. So painful, in fact, they don't even talk about it very much because they have this somehow this idea that, well, everybody else's kids are doing great and following the Lord and, and we're the only messed up ones when, when in fact they're in very good company in the sense that many of their brothers and sisters in Christ are dealing with the same thing. But you ask a great question about how we got started in this ministry. We, we started teaching the never too late um, scriptures and conference before I even had adult kids. And you know, normally when you go to a seminar or a conference, the person up front is supposed to have vast experience and knowledge, and they're going to share right personally with you so that you can grow in this. So the question of how we got into it is a great one. Um, it came through our youth ministry days. First of all, we were on the front lines of seeing so many young people who at age 16, 17, 18 seemed to be thriving in their faith. 
They were connected in their church, uh, perhaps even leaders in the church. And then by 20 or 22, were disconnected from the church, disconnected from the faith, some even saying that they weren't even Christ followers anymore. And uh, I was still involved in their life. So I was their youth pastor. Now they weren't churchgoers or uh, Christ followers anymore, but I still had a relationship with them and I still had a relationship with their parents. And so you think about uh, a youth pastor, you get a phone call from a mom and she says, uh, you know, my 15 year old son is struggling. Could you pick him up after school and spend some time with him? I said, sure, I'd be happy to pick him up. Okay. So I go see Johnny after school. We spend some time together. Well, now Johnny's 30 and he works at the bank and Johnny's mother still calls me and says, Hey, Johnny's going through a hard time. Can you go pick up Johnny after work today? Right? So my, the, the Lord led our ministry. We spent so much time with prodigals with kids, adults, young adults who are struggling in their faith and spending time with their parents who loved them, that we developed. So I I was not in the situation of parenting adult kids, but was on the front lines to what I would call generational ministry, helping young people who are really struggling and helping parents who loved them. And that's where the Never Too Late conference came out of. Great yeah, stuff. well, my, my guess is uh, the response to this has really been uh, tremendous. I don't think there's hardly a pain much greater for Christian parents than to see their kids uh, walk away the faith. You know, you, you spend so much time when they're little teaching them all the right things, taking them to church and Sunday school and memorizing all those Bible verses and all that, and then they walk away. And, and you know they're not happy, and it's been said that, uh, you know, parents are only as happy as their unhappiest child. Your saddest, um, your saddest child. I know that that is, is true. And, you know, when your kids walk away, you sometimes think, well, maybe, you know, there's just really nothing I can do. So, you know, life goes on. Or maybe there is something that we can do. And I think that that's what your book is all about and your seminars. How did you research this? How did you come up with, um, with really a plan for parents uh, for this well, we all know that there's no magic formulas or quick fixes. There's there's no pat answer for the pain or for the problem. There's no, here are three conversations to have with your 28-year-old daughter, and uh, th- that will cause her to have a soft heart toward the Lord and you and, and all of that. Obviously, we spent a lot of time interviewing and learning stories from people parents who were on the front line, both who were in it and struggling and those who had come through it with some uh, vic- God victory stories. But what we did is really focused on finding scriptures that spoke to the lifelong mission of parenting. Most of the commands and instructions that God gives to parents in the Bible, most of them are lifelong commandments. There are some that probably expire, you know, when when your kids leave the home and and they're independent on their own, but many of them are lifelong. So what we did is we grabbed on, there's four main sections in in the book, uh, and we just, we walk through scriptures that speak to each one of these. The first one is offer your heart to the Lord, which is just as the parent going to God uh, with a spirit of humility, with a spirit of urgent prayer, uh, with a spirit of confession. The next one is to turn your heart to your child. This comes from Malachi 4 and Luke 1, where you ask God, see, so many parents, because of the pain of it, 
have have disconnected themselves either relationally from the child and and year it's been years and they talk about the weather and they talk about the sports everything is very very superficial because it's too painful for the parent to feel the burden of the child's spiritual condition but when a when a parent's heart is turned to their child they they have an overwhelming sense and calling from god that it's the number one mission of their life to help their kid be in a love their child be in a love relationship with jesus now that weight is a burden and it can be painful but i think that god i've had a lot of conversations with parents where as they're sharing about their adult child they start crying and sometimes i don't say this all the time but sometimes i'll say i'm glad you're crying and i don't mean that in a in any sort of mean-spirited way at all it just tells me that the, the parent's heart is turned to the child they have a very appropriate love and burden for them and both of those two biblical principles of offering our heart to the lord and turning our heart to our child that has nothing to do with our child that's just that's just us just us and god and then the second two or the final two are to draw your child's heart to yours. That comes from Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart. And then the fourth one is to point your child's heart to Christ. Now, a lot of parents are very eager for number four. Okay, talk to me about, give me the the spiritual conversation to have with my child, which is going to awaken them from either the things that they believed or whatever it might be. But number three is perhaps the most important one. Draw your child's heart to yours. And the principle here is that there is no influence apart from relationship. If there's broken relationship, broken trust, loss of warmth, loss of openness and closeness with your adult child, there is no conversation. They're they're not even going to let you in. We ask parents, have you ever had a conversation with your child where you feel like you're talking to the wall? Like, oh yeah, all the time. I'm like, well, why do you have that sense? Well, the answer is you are. <laughs> your your spite, your little spider senses that, hey, I don't think I'm getting through. You're absolutely right. Because there's probably relational barriers, emotional barriers. So we spend a whole lot of time uh giving parents some coaching on on how to rebuild relationship. I'll give you one story. I know I'm talking long on this. I had a 21-year-old young man come to me and say, My dad has invited me out for breakfast tomorrow because he wants to have a conversation. Now, my, when my dad says he wants to have a conversation, what he means is he's going to lecture me for an hour about all the problems in my life. So this young man's going to go out to breakfast with his dad, but how open is his heart to anything? Maybe dad's got good things to say. I don't know. But but his heart's not open in any way to what dad's going to say because a, a conversation's not a conversation that dad would be a whole lot wiser to find a way to have 45 minutes of that breakfast be his son talking and sharing about his life and his concerns and dad chipping in because the relationships got to get built before there's going to be influence. And it's good, really good. Yeah, you know, Rob, you know that our uh, our goal is to help grandparents, uh, uh, to help them pass faith onto their grandchildren. And sometimes we hear from grandparents whose children have... Uh, walked away from the Lord, and they really don't want the grandparents uh, teaching the grandchildren about Jesus and uh, reading Bible stories to them or praying with them. And um, you've written about healing family relationships and when they walk away. And uh, do any of these principles that you've written about, do they apply to grandparents who are trying to reach their grandchildren? Absolutely. I think if you think of it as a bell curve, right, on, on both of the ends, 
you would have believing children who enthusiastically welcome spiritual influence from grandparents. On the other end, you have what you just described, which is, uh, I'd say, unbelieving children or children who are disconnected from the Lord actively blocking grandparents. The middle of the bell curve, though, is children who are more uh, passive and polite, but they're not strongly directing one way or another. That That's probably the majority situation. And in that case, I would, as a grandparent, take that as a green light to be spiritually engaged in the life of your grandchildren through prayer, through scripture, through conversations, through notes. But speaking very directly to the concern that you brought up, where you have a child who directly says, I don't want you talking about spiritual things. I don't want you talking about all this Jesus stuff and Bible stuff with the kids. There's a sphere in which I think that that has to be respected and valued and and honored. And that sphere would be anytime the grandparent is over at the, the grandchildren's house. If it's on their turf, it's their home. Uh, It doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian and live out your faith, but if you've been asked not to talk about a particular subject in that home, I think it's probably good to to respect and honor that. However, um, I don't believe your children have the jurisdiction over your home. So if and when you've got kids in your house praying before meals, go for it. Uh, Sharing just things that the Lord is teaching you, I encourage you to do that. Be bold with that. Uh, if there's uh, scriptures, little devotionals you want to do with the grandkids. Now, if that becomes combative, if the children say, we forbid you from doing this, it is worth a little bit of pushback at that point to say, hey, listen, we have to be ourselves in our own home. And we love you. We're not trying to cram this down your kids' throats, but we're living authentically in our home. And we honor you. And we want to have a genuine, open relationship with you. And we want to honor and respect the way uh, you're functioning in your home. And we're not there to tell you how to live your lives in your home. And this is how we're going to live. So I think it's worth, you know, some people might have a hard time with being that that direct. Um, if it comes to, well, then we're not sending the grandkids over to your house anymore. Well, that's another layer of, of conversation, which becomes incredibly hurtful, basically to say, okay, so you're going to keep your children away from their grandparents because we want to pray before we eat. Are you sure you want to do that? Um, those are very, very difficult conversations to have, but at that point, they're worth having in a direct, loving, honest way. We're hearing more and more and more about that. And often, I mean, you don't build, you don't put a barrier up unless something really hurt you or something really disturbed you. And I think we're, some of it, we're reaping the inauthentic ministries that took place, the the things that were made commands that were not black and white, and right. the lack of grace. And uh, it's really a two-way street, isn't it, Rob, to reach out to our own adult children, prodigal adult children, as much as or in the same way with our uh, grandchildren. Without a doubt. And asking that question, if you, if you feel like you have a child of any age that's bristly with you, uh, keeps you at arm's length, a powerful question to ask is, have I done something to hurt you? Yeah. Uh, recently or far in the past, because I kind of get the sense when I'm around, you don't want me around, or you have a very short fuse with me. And I, I wonder if that's because I've done something to hurt you. A quick story. My son, JD, who is now 20, was 13, 14 years old. And there was a solid couple years in there 
where when I was around, he was kind of bristly. And if I tried to have personal conversations with him, I mean, it was no secret to me that he would rather not talk to me. And there can be a component of of, uh, teenage boy uh, angst in there, but uh, it seemed to me a little more than that because he was talking to his mom. So it did seem to be a little more personal with me. And so I said, you know, I wrote a book on this. I should do the thing I said in the book. Uh, it it really comes. These are all li- living seminars in the sense that we're living it. So I went to him and I said, JD, um, have I done something to hurt you? Because it, you know, kind of seems like when I'm around, you don't want me around. And he said, no, dad, you're a perfect father. You never done anything wrong. Uh, no, actually, that's not what he said. He said, he said, yeah, dad, there is. And I'm, like, whoa, okay, well, what is it? And I'll make make a long story short. So he's 13, 14. He says, Dad, when you talk to me, you talk to me more like my little brother, Ray, who was eight or nine. And I want you to talk to me more like, my, like you talk to my big brother, R.W., who was 17, 18 years old. And I asked him to explain that to me and give me some examples. And he was a thousand percent right. Hmm. I, I was talking to him more little boy-ish, if you will, like more like an elementary schooler when in fact now he's an eighth grader high schooler now. And as, as an, a freshman in high school, he wanted to be treated more like a young man, not like a little kid. He was absolutely right hmm. with my tone of voice, with my mindset, with my attitude. And I, I was, you know, fathers do not exasperate your children, Ephesians 6, 4. That's exactly what I'd been doing to him for a couple <laughs> of years. And and he was feeling so disrespected by me. And I had to ask his forgiveness and, and say, JD, I, I don't want to do this to you. And I'm probably going to do it again because obviously I've got this terrible pattern built up. So I'm going to need your help. And, and this applies through so many different phases of, of parenting. If you treat your high school kid like an elementary school kid, they're going to be exasperated with you. If you treat your college kid like a high school kid, they're going to be exasperated with you. If you treat your adult child like a child, it's disrespectful. They're going to be exasperated with you, and it's going to cause hurt and pain in the relationship. So that was a huge learning for me, and and, and we're still learning now that we've got two married kids and, and grandbaby uh, soon to be with us. <laughs> that is so good. Just uh, really good stuff, Rob. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, it's just listening to you and, uh, of course, your history of working with families and uh, parents who are struggling with with kids who've walked away from the Lord. It's pretty easy to see how your new book really came to fruition, a book on, on healing broken relationships inside the home. And I would assume that uh, you understand that uh, messy families are, are pretty normal. There aren't too many... Uh, those perfect families anymore, you know, the Aussie and Harriet or or Leave it to Beaver type families out there anymore, that every family is a messy family. And I would imagine that the response to your book has been enormous. There's a huge market out there for what uh, what your book um, is all about. Yeah, it's only, it's really only for families with problems. <laughs> and, you know, in, in fact, and I've stopped using a particular phrase, um, you know, for years. And I suppose maybe we talked about it sociologically, but we'd talk broken families versus intact families, i.e. families with you know, two parents married versus divorced. Uh, I, I'm of the perspective now, I, I pro- call every family a broken family from the standpoint that there's, you know, I, I sin at home more than anywhere else combined. Uh, so every family is struggling. And here's what we began to realize as we worked with Christian families is 
many Christian families were buying a lie of the world when it comes to relational healing, which is time heals all wounds. You see, every Christian family is dealing with hurt, some of it the daily problems, but a lot of it uh, serious wounds from, from past issues. And they, they take a spiritualized perspective, which is, well, I'm a Christian, so you know, I, I, don't, I just want to kind of move on, and I want to take the high road. And there, there's certainly some value in, in that, but they think that time itself is going to heal wounds from family relationships, emotional wounds, spiritual wounds, and, and it doesn't. If you give yourself a, take a knife, give yourself a big chop, don't do this, a big chop on the arm and say, well, I'm going to give that time, that's a bad plan, right? You're going you're gonna to bleed out, you're going to get infected, you're going to get gangrene. Now, what is true is that God can heal all wounds over time. That is true. Healing emotional and family wounds is not instantaneous, uh, but it's a work of God, and it's an intentional work. So in this book, Healing Family Relationships, what we did is we just uh, we grabbed 12 biblical instructions, no magic formulas, no guarantees, no pat answers, but 12 things God says that his people can do to seek healing in a relationship. You know, Romans 12 says, uh, as if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. If possible, which means it might not be possible to live at peace with your brother. He may not want to live at peace with you. Uh, as far as it depends on you, in other words, if the relationship with your child, your spouse, your parent is broken, don't let that be because of you. Uh, ask God for the grace to be taking some baby steps toward healing. Sometimes that means keeping up boundaries around toxic, abusive people. That's a very complicated subject in families, but that's important also. And Robert, you know, as I was uh, reading your book... I uh, was struck once again with just how important it is to uh, uh, learn forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is just a huge issue, uh, wouldn't you say, when it comes to healing family relationships? Yeah, absolutely. And when I was going through this stuff with my father, when his infidelity came to light and my parents are getting divorced, I had some well-meaning friends who said, well, Rob, you need to forgive him. And certainly that was good Sunday schooly advice. Uh, but the problem was it felt very pat answery to me, felt very superficial. It felt no, nobody meant it that way. Nobody said it that way. It felt like what they were saying, see, I had hatred and anger and bitterness in my heart. It felt like what they were saying was that, well, you go down into your heart, wherever that is. And, you know, these are little light switches, anger, hatred, bitterness. And you, you just, you, you give those to Jesus and you turn off those feelings. And I'm like, well, if if anger and bitterness were little light switches you could just turn on turn off i would do that you would do that we all would so what it was actually my youth pastor ken who walked me through a biblical forgiveness process where you make some choices in your own heart god says forgive as the lord has forgiven you so i had to make a choice against my will i didn't feel like forgiving him i didn't want to forgive him he didn't ask for forgiveness but i had to make a choice in my heart and then i had to go into another phase of okay god I've chosen to forgive my dad against my better judgment, by the way, Lord, but I did it. And, but I can't change these, these feelings I have. I can't change the anger and bitterness. So God, I need you to heal my heart. I need you to, I don't want, listen, I don't want another person's bad behavior to be a ball and chain around my life. I don't want another person's bad behavior to be a rain cloud that follows me around the rest of my life. So I, I was, that's, this is phase two, God heal my heart. I was in six years of phase two 
God, I don't want to hate my dad. I don't want bitterness in my heart toward my dad. I want to be free. Now, reconciliation in our relationship was years and years and years after the forgiveness process. But again, this is we, we could do a real deep dive into that, but I'm pushing back against, I'm going to have healing in my heart because of time. That's not true. It's going to take an intentional process with you and the Lord. And, uh, you know, Rob, that's why we... Uh... We talk so much at the Legacy Coalition about intentional Christian grandparenting. Uh, we have to be intentional about the whole process. As much as we'd like to just wait and wait and wait, uh, there are some things that, that we can actually do you know, exactly. to, to uh, influence in a positive way our grandkids. But I hear from so many grandparents who feel like there's nothing that they can do, and they've just decided to, to wait it out, trusting God, and that's good. We pray like crazy and hope that uh, eventually, although our kids and our grandkids will all uh, join us someday in heaven. We may not see it while we're alive, but we, we just trust the Lord for that. Yeah, and it's in combination with what you just said. It's taking action, and some of that is just prayer action with you and the Lord, but having that multi-generational vision at the same time is so critical for hope. Um, I've used this example before that, especially for those that are maybe the first Christians in their family tree, that they've inherited, uh, think of it as a garden, that the spiritual legacy that they've inherited is all rocks and weeds, right? There is no fruit. There is no flowers. I mean, they're the, they're the first Christian in this whole family tree, and, and they would love, for, but, but the problem is that this soil, the weeds have to be pulled, the rocks have to be removed, the soil has to be cultivated, seeds have to get planted, those seeds have to grow, and then finally you get some fruit. And I, we all want the fruit, right, for ourselves and for our kids and for our grandkids. But, but if that's you and you're that first generation of your family, I would just encourage you with this. If Jesus came to you and said, your mission is to break up rocks and pull weeds your kids are going to plant some seeds, and your grandbabies are going to get some fruit. Would you spend your life breaking up the rocks and pulling the weeds? And they said, oh, yeah, if, if there was going to be multi-generational impact, just like you said, Wayne, maybe even after I'm gone, maybe even ways I don't even see, then we say, all right, Lord, I'll wake up again today and break up some rocks and pull some weeds. This is the non-fun work, but if that's what you've called me to do, I'll do it. You know, you don't, you don't go away to college and alone a Christian college to learn these things. And I think, you know, God knew that we'd grow best, as you've stated at the beginning in the crucible. These these are the pressure points that really bring about discipleship in our lives. And without that pain, without that struggle, you know, we just go wait for Jesus to come or for us to go. This is good. Very good, Rob. This has been good, uh, Rob, and uh, maybe you can just, uh, as yeah. we wrap things up, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how do we get in touch with you, with Visionary Families? Uh, I assume you have a website or or uh, some other way to get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our website is visionaryfam.com. That's short for family, visionaryfam.com. If you're listening to this podcast, you might love our podcast also. It's called Family Vision. Family Vision. Uh, shows come out every Monday. And it's usually just me and my wife uh, in the studio sharing uh, the ups and downs of our, our journey at the moment and the scriptures that God is using to uh, encourage us. And, and then the two books we've talked about here would be Never Too Late, 
encouraging faith in your adult child and healing family relationships. And those are available wherever, wherever you get your books or, or at our website, visionaryfam.com. Excellent. Thank you, Rob. And uh, before we uh, wrap things up, let me remind our uh, listeners that planning for the 2022 Legacy Grandparenting Summit is well underway. So far, our speakers include uh, Jim Burns, Tim and Darcy Kimmel, uh, Miles McPherson, John Stone Street, Rob Reno, uh, Michelle Anthony, Gordon McDonald, Crawford Loritz, and Graham Lotz, and more to be announced soon. Mark the dates on your calendar, October 20th and 21st, that's a Thursday and Friday, and join us in Jacksonville, Florida, or at a simulcast location near you. Details are going to be on our website at LegacyCoalition.com. Rob, you have been at several of our past Legacy Grandparenting Summits. I think uh, you've attended uh, and been a speaker at three out of four, maybe four out of four. It's been a joy to be with you. I've been on probationary status, though, because I've not been a grandparent. And so now, now I'm officially... Uh, in the club. So I appreciate you extending my probationary status a couple of years and we're good to go. And we are good to go as well. Thanks again, Rob Reno, for being our guest today. And that wraps up Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. Until next time, this is Wayne Rice and John Colomb saying so long and praying that you have a great week of intentional Christian grandparenting.